0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about upper gastrointestinal bleeding and you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash upper GI bleed or in the gastroenterology section of the second edition of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Bleeding from the upper gastrointestinal tract is a relatively common medical emergency. It involves bleeding from the esophagus, stomach or duodenum. Let's start with the causes. The key sources of bleeding are peptic ulcers, which are the most common cause of upper GI bleeding, a Mallory vice tear, which is a tear in the esophageal mucosa, esophageal varices, which are usually secondary to portal hypertension in patients with liver cirrhosis and stomach cancers. So let's go through the presentation. The presenting features of an upper gastrointestinal bleed are hematemesis, which is vomiting up blood, coffee ground vomiting, which is vomiting coagulated or clotted blood, which has the appearance of coffee grounds, and melina, which is tar-like, black, greasy and offensive stools, which is caused by digested blood. Hemodynamic instability occurs with significant blood loss causing a low blood pressure, tachycardia or a fast heart rate and other signs of shock. Young and fit patients may compensate well with normal observations until they've lost a lot of blood. There are certain features which would point you towards the underlying diagnosis or the source of bleeding. Peptic ulcers, for example stomach or duodenal ulcers, are associated with a history of epigastric pain and dyspepsia or indigestion and the patient may be taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs. mallory vice tears tend to occur after heavy retching or vomiting which may be caused by binge drinking, gastroenteritis or hyperemesis gravidarum in early pregnancy. Esophageal varices are associated with liver cirrhosis and portal hypertension. The patient will have signs of these conditions such as ascites, jaundice and caput medusa. And stomach cancer is associated with a history of weight loss, epigastric pain, treatment resistant dyspepsia, low hemoglobin or anemia and a raised platelet count. Next, let's talk about the Glasgow Blatchford Bleeding Score. The Glasgow Blatchford Score is used at the initial presentation in suspected upper GI bleeding. It estimates the risk of a patient having an upper GI bleed. A score above zero indicates a high risk for an upper GI bleed, and the NICE guidelines, updated in 2016, suggest considering early discharge in patients with a score of zero. The easiest way to calculate the Glasgow Blatchford score is using an online calculator. The score takes into account hemoglobin, which falls in upper GI bleeding, the urea, which rises in upper GI bleeding, the systolic blood pressure, the heart rate, presence of melina, which remember is black tarry stools, the presence of syncope, which is a loss of consciousness, a history of liver disease and heart failure. A tom tip for you, acid and digestive enzymes will break down blood in the upper gastrointestinal tract. One of the breakdown products is urea, which is then absorbed in the intestines causing a rise in the blood urea level. The association between upper GI bleeding and increased blood urea is a key fact worth remembering. Next, let's talk about the Rockall score. The Rockall score is used after endoscopy to estimate the risk of rebleeding and mortality. It takes into account the age, features of shock, for example, tachycardia or hypotension, comorbidities, cause of bleeding, for example, a Mallory Rice tear or malignancy, and endoscopic findings of a recent bleed including clots or visible bleeding vessels. Next let's talk about management. As with any medical emergency, get senior support early and follow the local policies. The initial management can be remembered with the abated mnemonic. A for an ABCDE approach to immediate resuscitation. B for bloods. A for access, ideally two large-bore cannulas. T for transfusions as required, E for endoscopy within 24 hours and D for drugs, stopping anticoagulants and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Send bloods for hemoglobin, which will be a full blood count, urea, which will be a use blood test, coagulation, which is an INR and a full blood count for the platelet count, liver disease, which is liver function tests, and cross-matching two units of blood. A tom-tip for you, a group and save sample is where the lab checks the patient's blood group and saves a sample of their blood to match blood to if needed. Cross-match is where the lab allocates units of blood, tests that it's compatible and keeps it ready in the fridge. So a group and save is where they check the blood group, and a cross-match is where they actually allocate units of blood. Whether the patient requires a transfusion is based on the individual presentation. Blood, platelets, and clotting factors, usually in the form of fresh frozen plasma, are given to patients with massive bleeding. Transfusing more blood than is necessary can be harmful. Platelet infusions are given in active bleeding plus thrombocytopenia, which is a platelet count of less than 50. And prothrombin complex concentrate can be given to patients taking warfarin that are actively bleeding. There are some additional steps if esophageal varices are suspected, for example, in patients with liver cirrhosis. And these are terlipressin and broad spectrum antibiotics esophago gastro or an OGD which is an endoscopy procedure is required to diagnose and treat the source of the bleeding. Non-variceal bleeding when there's no esophageal varices can be treated in various ways such as with clips or thermal coagulation. Variceal band ligation is used to treat bleeding esophageal varices. The NICE guidelines updated in 2016 recommend against using proton pump inhibitors until after endoscopy in patients with non-variceal upper GI bleeding. So thanks for listening to this episode on upper gastrointestinal bleeding. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast and I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about inflammatory bowel disease.